0: Hello, I'm Aaron Lore, and this is the Endocrine News Podcast. Today we're talking about incretins and type 2 diabetes management. Today's episode is certified for up to 0.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credits and ABIM MOC points. If that's something of interest to you, listen on to the end to learn how to get those credits. And also, let me take a moment to thank Lily for their support in making this episode possible. Thank you. Joining me today is Dr. Zen Shi Lu, the James M. Moss Professor of Diabetes at the University of Virginia. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me here. So, what are twincretins, and why are they so important to the world of type two diabetes management?
1: Twincretins are agents that are able to activate both the glucagon-like peptide one, ensure the GLP one receptor, and glucose-dependent insulinotropic polypeptide, ensure the GIP receptor. To understand the importance of the tancredins, let's first review the physiology and post-physiology behind the incretin hormones. Both GLP-1 and GIP are incretin hormones secreted from the intestine upon nutrient intake. They are responsible for regulating post-mere insulin secretion, and this is what we call incretin effect. This effect helps to decrease post-mere glucose excursion. GLP-1 and GRP exert their effects by binding to their specific receptors, and uh, those receptors belong to the G-protein-coupled receptor family. In pancreatic islets, both the GLP-1 receptor and the GRP receptor are expressed in beta cells, but only the GRP receptor is expressed in alpha cells. In addition to regulating insulin secretion, GLP1 and the GRP affect the functions of many tissues and organs that express their respective receptors. There are several major differences between GLP1 and the GRP actions. GLP1 inhibits appetite and food intake, whereas the GRP generally has no significant impact on food intake. GLP1 suppresses postprandial glucagon secretion while GIP enhances postprandial glucagon response. They both slow gastric emptying, but GLP-1 is much more potent than GIP. In adipose tissues, GIP, but not GLP-1, facilitates bad deposition, so there's a possibility that GIP might promote obesity. Additionally, GIP receptor is expressed in bone, including osteocasts, osteoblasts, and osteocytes, and mediates near induced suppression of bone resorption. In people with type 2 diabetes, the increasing effect is reduced or completely lost. However, there is a big difference between the two increasing hormones. Infusion studies have shown that GLP-1 is capable of stimulating insulin secretion in people with type 2 diabetes, but the GIP is almost ineffective. It has been reported that hyperglycemia reduces GIP receptor expression and beta cell responses to GIP. On the other hand, better glycemic control with intensive insulin therapy can partially restore GIP's insulinotropic effect possibly by restoring GRP receptor expression in the others. Because of the similarity and the differences between GLP-1 and GRP in healthy humans and those with type 2 diabetes, it has now been speculated that people with type 2 diabetes might benefit from synergistic or additive actions between these two incretin hormones.
0: How are GLP 1 receptor agonists and DPP 4 inhibitors developed? And how should these drugs be used?
1: The fact that people with type 2 diabetes have a decreased or complete loss of the increasing effect, but a robust insulin secretion response to GLP 1 infusion made GLP 1 a clear therapeutic target for type 2 diabetes management. Two approaches have been successfully used to develop GLP-1-based therapeutic agents. The first approach was to inhibit the activity of an enzyme called Departidyl-Partidase-4, in short, DPP-4. This enzyme breaks down GLP-1 and GIP in vivo, and this is the reason why GLP-1 and GIP both have a very short half-life of only a few minutes. Inhibition of this enzyme increases the endogenous GLP-1 concentrations by approximately 2 to 3-fold. We have nowadays four DPP-4 inhibitors available in the U.S. markets. They are sitagliptin, saxagliptin, linagliptin, and allagliptin. Another DPP-4 inhibitor called vedagliptin is available outside of the U.S. market. DPP-4 inhibitors cause a moderate decrease in hemoglobin A1C by approximately 0.5 to 0.8%. These agents are weight neutral. Therefore, they are a good choice in those patients who are not at high risk of or have established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, chronic kidney disease, or heart failure, and need additional help to control glycemia after metformin and lifestyle modification. The second approach was the development of GLP-1 interlocks, or GLP-1 receptor agonists. These agents are resistant to DPP four degradation with much longer half-life than native GLP one, we now have six injectable agents and one oral agent available for clinical use. The injectables include the daily exenatide, weekly exenatide, weekly lixisenatide, daily lixisenatide, daily lixisenatide, and weekly semaglutide. Semaglutide is also available in daily oral preparation. These agents have much stronger potency in decreasing glycemia than DPP4 inhibitors and can reduce hemoglobin A1c by up to 2%. Another major benefit is that use of these agents is associated with a variable degree of weight loss. They should be considered in those patients whose glycemic control is well above the glycemic target of the metformin and the lifestyle modification, particularly if they are overweight. In you know, those so at a high risk of or having established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or chronic kidney disease, agents with proven cardiovascular and renal benefits should be considered independently of baseline chemical A1C individualized chemotherapy A1C target or metformin use.
0: So far, we've been talking about incretins in the realm of diabetes, but what are their roles beyond glycemic control?
1: In addition to the allied beta cells, many tissues express GLP-1 receptors, including the central nervous system, cardiovascular system, liver, adipose tissue, kidneys, and the gastrointestinal tract. As a result, there are many other actions of GLP-1 receptor agonists beyond glycemic control that can benefit patients with type 2 diabetes. The most important non-glycemic control actions include the cardiovascular protection, renal protection, and weight loss. Thus far, three GLP-1 receptor agonists have been demonstrated to have cardiovascular, and renal protective benefits. These are once-daily liragotide, once-weekly liragotide, and once-weekly semagrotide. In terms of weight loss, two GLP-1 receptor agonists have received FDA-approved specific indication for weight loss. They are liragotide at 3 mg once-daily and semagrotide at 2.4 mg once-weekly. Additionally, multiple studies have shown a promising effect of GLP-1 receptor agonists in reducing liver fat accumulation. So these agents are potentially very useful for the treatment of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is frequently associated with type 2 diabetes.
0: What do historical findings tell us about GIP as either a pathophysiological or a therapeutic agent, and why is the GIP paradox important?
1: GIP actually was discovered well before grp one but the understanding of GIP's physiology lags behind. GIP receptor and the GIP-1 receptor share approximately 40% sequence homology but they display extremely high selectivity for their respective ligands. As a result, previous efforts have been focused on developing respective ligands for other GLP-1 receptor or GIP receptor. As I just mentioned, GLP-1-based therapy has evolved rapidly to become major treatment options for people with type 2 diabetes. On the other hand, the development of GRP-based therapy has been limited due to the fact that the GRP-mediated insulin secretion is impaired in people with type 2 diabetes and the possibility of obesity-promoting action of GRP. Early work using the loss-of-function approach suggested that the GRP promotes obesity by increasing fat deposition. This has limited the interest in developing GRP receptor agonist and promoted the interest in developing its antagonist to treat type 2 diabetes. While the loss of function studies suggest that GRP drives weight gain, there's no convincing evidence that a GRP receptor agonism increases adiposity or body weight. Thus far, there is evidence supporting both cases, and this apparent paradox has not been reconciled. It has been speculated that a GIP receptor antagonism may enhance GLP-1 receptor activity, while chronic GRP agonism may downregulate and desensitize GIP receptor activity. Clearly, more study is needed for a better understanding of the GRP paradox.
0: What do the latest clinical data tell us about dual incretin therapy?
1: Given the difference in physiology and pathophysiology between grp one and the GRP, it has now been speculated that a combined activation of the GRP as well as the grp one system could result in beneficial effects beyond those obtained by a simple addition of the two separate effects, either by concomitant or by sequential activation of the two hormone systems. Multiple preclinical studies have suggested the possibility of a synergistic effect between GLP-1 receptor agonist and the GRP receptor agonist in terms of glycemic control and weight loss, and these results have served as both the basis and the motivation for the development of dual GLP1 receptor and the GRP receptor agonists to treat type 2 diabetes. Another corroborative evidence is that bariatric surgery, which is the most effective treatment for type 2 diabetes and obesity, is associated with elevated plasma levels of GLP1, GRP, and glucagon. The structural homology among GLP-1, GRP, and glucagon allows for the development of intermixed union molecular peptides with activity at each of the respective receptors. Recently, chimeric peptides that combine elements of both GLP-1 and GRP and are capable of activating both receptors have been demonstrated to have remarkable glucose lowering efficacy and weight loss effect in people with type 2 diabetes and obesity. There are multiple agents under development with a clear front runner called transapatite. Transapatite is a 39 amino acid synthetic peptide. With agonist activity at both GRP and GRP1 receptors. It includes a C20 fatty acid moiety. This allows a half-life extension to approximately five days. Thus far, five large randomized phase three trials in the surpass program have been completed, evaluating the efficacy and the safety of terzapatite. The first study is the SURPASS-1 study. It evaluated to at three doses, that is 5 mg, 10 mg, 15 mg once weekly as a monotherapy against placebo. Among people with type 2 diabetes inadequately controlled by diet and exercise alone, and if they were naive to injectable diabetes therapy, at 40 weeks, the hepatite lowered hemoglobin E1c by up to 2%, and the dose-dependently decreased body weight, ranging from 7 to 9.5 kg. It was well-tolerated, with a safety profile similar to that of GLP-1 receptor agonists, and there was no increased risk of hypoglycemia. The Circus II study compared tozepatite to injectable semaglutide in people with type 2 diabetes. There was an open-label, 40-week trial with patients being randomized to tozepatite again, three doses, 5 mg, 10 mg, or 15 mg once weekly, or semaglutide 1 mg once weekly as a control. Tozepatide was superior to semagrotide in decreasing hemoglobin E1C as well as reducing weight. The Surpass 3 study compared tozepatide 5 mg, 10 mg, or 15 mg once weekly with once daily injection of titrated insulin, degludec in people with type 2 diabetes inadequately controlled by metformin. Overall, tozeptide was superior to titrated insulin decodec with greater reductions in chemotherapy A1C and body weight at week 52 and a lower risk of hypoglycemia. The surpass four study compared tozeptide at other 5 mg, 10 mg, or 15 mg once weekly with insulin collaging in type 2 diabetes with either established Cardiovascular disease or increased cardiovascular risk. Compared with collagen, tozeptide demonstrated greater hemoglobin a one c reduction with a lower incidence of hypoglycemia at a week 52. The surpass 5 study evaluated tozeptide as an add-on to insulin collagen compared to placebo in patients with uncontrolled type 2 diabetes. Zapotide was more effective than placebo in improving glycemia at week 40. Additionally, there are several ongoing phase 3 studies involving Zapotide, including the SURPASS-CVOT in people with type 2 diabetes and confirmed cardiovascular disease, and the Sermon-1 study, which tests the ability of tozapatite to produce weight loss in people with type 2 diabetes and obesity over 72 weeks. Both are estimated to complete in 2024. A meta-analysis including seven randomized controlled trials with the duration of at least 26 weeks showed that tozeptide did not increase the risk of major cardiovascular events in participants with type 2 diabetes.
0: These are indeed some very promising findings that you've been sharing. The future does seem exciting. And speaking about the future, what do you see as the future direction of other co-agonists?
1: This is an exciting area in diabetes research and management. Right now multiple coagonists are under active development. GRP1, GRP, and glucagon share complementary activities and the tissue specific distribution of their respective receptors, thus functions raise the possibility for synergistic interactions at the systemic level. As such, interests are very high in developing a variety of coagonists. Because of the similar structures at the internal region shared by these peptides, it is technically not difficult to synthesize sequence intermixed peptide for this purpose. In addition to unimolecular GIP receptor and GLP-1 receptor agonists, GLP1 receptor and gugagon receptor dual agonist and GLP1 receptor, GRP receptor and glucagon receptor triagonist are all under active development. One synthetic peptide triagonist called sar 441255 should be mentioned here. It is unimolecular GLP1 receptor glp receptor and glucagon receptor triagonist. It has high and balanced activity at each receptor. Preclinical data have shown added benefit for triagonists that integrate glucagon receptor agonism over GLP1 receptor and glp receptor coagonist. A recently published phase one study showed that in healthy humans, SAR441255 improved glycemic control during a mixed meal tolerance test and was well tolerated. More studies are clearly needed and
0: are ongoing. This has been fantastic, but that's about all the time that we have for today. I want to say thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Liu.
1: Thank you for having me here. It has been fun.
0: We covered quite a bit in today's episode. For those of you wanting to claim those credits I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you'll need to visit the Endocrine Society's Center for Learning and view a brief animation, which will provide visual learning cues, and then take a short quiz to apply your knowledge. I'll include links for both of those in today's episode description. I hope you enjoyed today's topic and our discussion with Dr. Liu. Until next time, thanks for listening. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.